How you doing? Good. You guys holding up all right? We are uh, we're in week three now of a four week series that we've been uh, looking at entitled "The Rhythm of Rest." We've been talking about studying, exploring, hopefully experimenting with this. This God-given provision of, of Sabbath rest. So is everybody feeling all rested up and good to go? Eh, right? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes less so. Right? It, it, for me, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, if I'm being completely honest. In the, in the sense of like, I, I, again, this is not something, this is not a practice, this is not a... a um, command of God that I have been spent most of my adult Christian life implementing in a really strategic and, and purposeful way. In fact, this whole series has been very eye-opening for me. I've been learning a ton and, and convicted in that, that I want to experiment and, and explore and integrate this into my life, into my practice of, of following Jesus. And so for each of us, I, I, you know, I'm curious, like if we could have a conversation today about what you're experiencing, where is it working? Where do you find yourself struggling? Like what are the roadblocks to, to really beginning to experience this in a meaningful way? Because the last thing that I want for us as a church is to just have better information about Sabbath rest, right? Although that would be useful, I guess that's not the invitation, right? The, the invitation is something that gives life. It's, that, that's what I want, right? I, I want us to be more, I want us to have a more holistic experience of Jesus. I want us to be more equipped for kingdom purposes and for the, the work that God has put in front of us. And I think we, I think we discover that. I think that happens when we, when we take this seriously, and so that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm excited today to explore and look at the passage that we're going to study. Because when we started this series, we began with looking at the rhythm of creation that God instituted from, from the very outset, or the rhythm of rest in creation. All the way back in Genesis, the way God, um, not because he was in any way depleted, not because he had emptied himself or was worn out, he instituted rest. And he invited Adam and Eve. He brought them into that. In fact, that's where they started from. They were created on day six and on day seven, they rested. And then we looked at God's command of rest, right? In Exodus chapter 20, we looked at when God is laying out his law for his people, how he establishes this practice, this pattern of rest and how it's actually subversive. It's it, it fights and pushes back against these empire sort of demands of our world that always constantly require more, always demand more of your time and your attention and your mental and emotional and spiritual energy. And Sabbath is given to us as a way of fighting against that impulse that we seem to be um, so inclined to in our humanity. And so it's, it's given to us as a gift and it's given to us as a command and it's subversive against all these draws of of the kingdom of this world and invites us into this experience of the kingdom of God. And now we're going to look in, in the New Testament and we're going to get to some of what Jesus teaches, this, this invitation that he extends to his followers into the experience of rest in him. And so throughout this series, I, I've 
I've learned so much about the design and the intent and the command and the gift of Sabbath. And so that's, I've been asking myself in the midst of this, why is this a practice? Why is this something that, that largely has been overlooked or I, maybe a better word would be like downplayed in our modern experience of, of living as a follower of Jesus? Why isn't this something that we talk more about? Why isn't this something that we hold each other accountable to? And I think one of the reasons that that has happened and, and our, and again, I understand this is specific. I'm, I'm not, this is not necessarily the case everywhere, but it's been my experience. I think one of the reasons that that has resulted in this is that there's been this sense that, that this isn't really something that Jesus emphasized. It wasn't something that he cared about a whole lot. I, I, I think there's a couple reasons why this notion of rest and ceasing runs counterintuitive to our experience and our modern experience of following Jesus. I think in some ways, we have made busyness a, a hallmark of, of spiritual maturity. Like we, we've spiritualized the idea of being busy. And so, and maybe you've heard this sort of phrase or, or something like this thrown around, but if I've seen it more in kind of like ministry settings. Like if somebody's going, 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 and, and, and you try to say like, hey, uh, maybe you should slow down. You're going to burn yourself out. You, you're, you need to rest. You need to take a break. And kind of a, like a rebuttal to that being something akin to like saying like, uh, the devil doesn't take a day off, you know. There's some problems with that logic, right? Like if the devil becomes the role model that we're citing for our behavior pattern, like that's, that's probably not a good idea. Like maybe he would not have become the devil if he had taken a few days off in the midst, right? Or I think my family could tell you that like my behavior has a tendency to go more in that direction when I'm exhausted and depleted and completely worn out, not not less so, and you're not the means by which God defeats the devil, okay? But I think, secondly, and like I refer to, I think that we have this, this idea in our head that, that Jesus didn't value and teach the Sabbath, that this isn't something that he practiced on a regular basis. So meaning in kind of the, the grace era of, of Jesus entering in and ushering in the kingdom of God, that this was almost like no longer necessary. And I think what we're going to discover today is that Jesus not only modeled this, he not only practiced it, but he invited his followers into experience it. And he offers understanding and clarity around what this means. In fact, as we'll see in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to turn there, Mark uh, chapter 2. Jesus will refer to himself, he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's talk a little bit about, about how Jesus viewed Sabbath. This is Mark chapter 2. So we're going to look at a couple instances where Jesus is accused of not, not taking the Sabbath seriously. And we're going to talk about how he, what he teaches us as it relates to our understanding and practice of Sabbath. Verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? 
He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here in this in this interaction as these Pharisees are engaging with Jesus as they're leveling this accusation. Jesus in this, in this conversation, in this encounter, he begins to frame up uh, what I'm going to say is two contrasting paradigms. Two contrasting paradigms. Paradigm might not be the best word. Like two contrasting methods or means whereby we seek to make ourselves acceptable to God. Two understandings of what that looks like. And Jesus exposes them here. When I was a kid, um, like some of you, or like some of you are, are doing with your own kids right now, my mom and dad uh, taught me how to pray. And, and they would come, and every night when I would go to bed, either my mom or my dad would, would pray with me, or when I would uh, we'd sit down as a family, we would pray together. And so I learned, to, you know, as a child, to like hold my, fold my hands together and to bow my head and to close my eyes and and yet somewhere along the way I I took on the responsibility of like as a kid making sure everybody else was praying correctly like that they had their posture so we'd sit down as a meal as a family and I'd kind of like have one eye open and then like afterwards be like point to my older brother Scott and be like he didn't have his eyes closed during prayer right and eventually somebody explained to me like Son, you can only see that they didn't have their eyes open if your eyes were, right? Like, I, I somehow, in their, like, like, little child legalistic heart started to, like, be like, are they doing this the right way? And, and I started to miss the, I was looking at the how and was missing the why and the what of, of what God actually desires for us and creates for us in prayer. Here, here Jesus, these Pharisees see Jesus with his disciples. He's walking along, it's Sabbath, they're practicing Sabbath, and they pick some heads of grain to eat. So in the Old Testament, the Jewish farmers, the Israelites, were taught to leave the edges of their fields so that people who were in their community and had a need could gather some, something small in order to eat. It was, a, it was also a means of caring for their community. And so as they're walking along, these disciples grab some heads of grain to, to have a snack. And immediately the disciples or the, the Pharisees look at what are taking place and they approach Jesus and they accuse Jesus of, of violating Sabbath law. And Jesus essentially is, is, is he's going to point out to them, says, you're missing it. You're missing what this is about. And just for a bit of, of background, what's interesting in this for us is that Scripture is a bit ambiguous as it relates to what constitutes work and what constitutes rest. Like it's, 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 there's gray area there, and we as we, our humanity, like we like black and white, right? And, and so in this effort to be really serious about following God's law. So if you read like the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, you'll see that, that there is not a lot of specificity around what, what constitutes work and what constitutes rest. 
somehow God seemed to think that, that we'd be able to figure this out. But in this desire to be really conscientious about obedience, to be, to be really protective of the law, the ancient Israelite rabbis created kind of a commentary or codified what it meant to work and what it meant to rest. And so there's this, this separate writing, which is not a part of the Torah, called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah had 39 statements about what was work. For example, like how far you could walk before walking turned into work, which is about um, a quarter mile, which is actually, that's about right for me. Like it's right around a quarter mile where I start to be like, this feels like work. Um, and so you've ever heard the phrase like a Sabbath day's walk? That, that was out of the Mishnah, the, how they codified what constitutes work. If you were driving to Chicago and you were to go into like a, an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, you would see that most of the families live within a quarter mile of synagogues so that they can walk there on the Sabbath and, and not violate the Mishnah. One of those codes that's written into the Mishnah was, was no harvesting. And so here, these Pharisees look at Jesus and his disciples and, and they say, this constitutes work. And you're violating the law. They, they call Jesus out for violating Sabbath. And Jesus now begins to reveal, expose, if you will, these paradigms that they're operating on. These contrasting paradigms, which we'll call today this as human religion versus the gospel that Jesus is preaching. These, these are these contrasting paradigms, human religion versus the gospel of Jesus Christ. So human religion in all its forms, and it has taken many forms throughout history, is essentially about putting in enough effort that on some sort of cosmic scale, God is going to find us acceptable. So human religion essentially says, I obey or I obey enough, therefore I am accepted. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The result of this, without fail, becomes some form of, of self-righteousness that leads to judgmentalism, right? So we, and we can see that on display. They're looking at, at some disciples picking some heads of gray, and they're like, gotcha. And if, it doesn't, if the result isn't self-righteousness uh, self that leads to judgmentalism, then it becomes hopelessness. Because you never, you never live up to the standard. You never accomplish what needs to be done. And there really is very little middle ground between the two. But then Jesus, in contrast to this, he's been walking around and he's been teaching people about the good news of the kingdom of God. He's been teaching people and inviting them into his kingdom. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus. Or in other words, he's saying, you have been accepted. In me, you are accepted. So it's not, I obey, therefore I am accepted. He's saying, you are accepted by grace through faith in Christ. Now live in obedience out of that. And the difference is, is everything. Jesus didn't, didn't come to offer us some updated version on human religion. He came to put an end to it. He came to replace it with himself. Jesus uh, cites this, this example of David entering into the temple from the Old Testament where David came in and he's, he's been running from Saul and from Saul's soldiers who are seeking to, to kill him, to eliminate him. 
And they enter into the, the temple and they're starving. And as a result, they eat what's known as consecrated bread. It was bread that was set aside for the purpose of, of the priests. And Jesus is saying, do you see what's happening here? That the purpose, the, the reason the temple was given to the people of God was that they might come in and meet with God and experience life. So when uh, the, uh, the starving, anointed future king of Israel comes in with, with his people, the, the rule, the law of the temple right, supersedes that. You, you give them the bread. And I, I want to be careful with this because it could be very easy in our humanness to start to rationalize, well, does this law supersede this law? We're talking about a specific instance and a specific situation, but Jesus is saying, do you understand what is what operates out of grace and what operates out of law? What gives life and, and what takes it? This is why verse 27, and this is Jesus' answer to them. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath, which just that phrase alone, I find interesting because I think it, it reveals kind of the two um, mistakes that we make as it relates to our, our practice of Sabbath rest. Meaning that he's speaking to a group of first century Pharisees and he's saying, you believe that man, that, that, that the Sabbath was, man was made for the Sabbath and you're missing the gift that this is meant for you to experience. And perhaps in our modern culture, in, in our current experience, we have forgotten that the Sabbath was made for man. That this is for us. It's, it's given to us as a gift. And then verse 28, he goes on to say, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this is, this is what pushes him over the top. Because this is a statement of, of divinity. Jesus is saying, don't, don't confuse him. The experience, the fulfillment of Sabbath in Jesus is in Jesus. It's in his completed work. Our practice, our experience of Sabbath is intentional time to, to enter into the completed work of Christ. Like, why did God rest? When everything was, was when he, on the seventh day, when he Set aside time, intentionality, purpose. He created rest. Why? Because he was exhausted? Because he had put in a, a hard six days work? Because he was done. Because there was nothing left to add to what he had already created because it was finished. Why do we as followers of Jesus set aside time for Sabbath rest because we we need to celebrate that in Christ the work is done we need to celebrate we need to remember we need to we need to worship because there's nothing more that we need to add to what Jesus has done for our salvation and so we we're called to just set aside time to experience that, to celebrate that, to remember that, to rest, to cease from our striving because Jesus has accomplished it. He goes on, though, and the Gospel of Mark records another incident, another uh, situation where there is a Sabbath experience and there's conflict between Jesus and, 
and another set of Pharisees. This is back in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 now. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we, we, we looked at two contrasting paradigms. And now here Jesus is, is exposing contrasting purposes. Contrasting purposes. If I, 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 don't, I am not a trained um, like psychologist, counselor, but pastorally I, I have... Um, had the opportunity to support people in a lot of different seasons of life, different struggles, different challenges, things that are sometimes going well, things that are very difficult. And one of those can be coming alongside somebody as they deal with and process an addiction in their life. And one of the things I've learned to, to kind of support somebody is to help them understand and to think about and recognize when are you particularly vulnerable? When are the moments that, that you feel this impulse to kind of revert back to this behavior or this addiction that you're trying to leave? And, and so as you begin to unpack this and they think about, okay, it's when, when I'm particularly stressed, like I'm, I'm just weak and I, I revert back, or when I'm experiencing all these really negative emotions, when I'm just angry or I'm hurt, I'm, I'm really vulnerable at that moment. Or, or, or if I am around a certain group of people or in a certain environment that I just kind of associate with, with this behavior or this addiction, I, I know that I can, be, I can be really kind of prone to give in. And one of the things that I've discovered in this is that when we are, when we're most weak, when we're vulnerable, is when we're tired. When we're worn out and when we've feel like we've given everything that we have to give. Right? It's amazing that our intuition, particularly in the midst of struggle, is to assume that the answer to that is to work harder, to do more. And, and, and don't mishear me on this. I understand that our engagement and our participation, especially when we're talking about addiction and those things, are, are critical parts of the equation. But what I find so interesting here is that in this interaction, we discover that one of the very fundamental purposes of coming into Sabbath, experiencing Sabbath rest, is healing. And I think that there's very little doubt that in, in our cultural moment, that many of us are living from a place of exhaustion. We're living from a place of feeling like we have given everything that we have to give. We're tired and we're frustrated and we're depleted and we're vulnerable. Again, Jesus here is 
It's interesting to note, and I never noticed this before, but when Jesus does most of his miracles of healing, most of them actually take place on the Sabbath. I hadn't understood that before, but in other words, when we look at the life of Christ, we begin to understand that one of his expectations, one of his assumptions about what Sabbath provides for us is healing. Jesus, again here, he confronts the ulterior motive in no uncertain terms. Verse 4, he said, what, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So Jesus is asking them the question. They're, they're silent in response to this. Jesus is saying this is what the Sabbath is for. This is its purpose. It's for our our healing and our restoration. It's for what is good and it it combats, it pushes back against what is evil. It is for our salvation. Again, Jesus here, he is linking himself to the Sabbath. And so the, the Pharisees don't, they're not only failing to understand the purpose of the Sabbath, they're failing to understand Jesus. They're failing to understand that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the one who heals, the one who saves. Just as a a principle of application here, so I, again, I've told you that this is something that I'm trying to integrate into my life because I've been uh, convicted that I've, I've neglected this practice intentionally and purposely. And so I'm, I'm trying, Sunday is, is obviously a day of work for me, and so I'm trying to start going home at Friday by about 3 o'clock and, and just setting everything aside until Saturday at 3 o'clock, which means if I'm preaching Saturday night, I've got to, the sermon's got to be completely done, I've, got to, I've gone through, I've already got to practice, I've got to be able to show up here on Saturday night and be ready to go, which is, that's new for me, that's typically been like my Saturday morning process and I set aside my computer I try to leave my phone on the counter more I'm still struggling with that like that thing just has a grip on me for whatever reason but one of the things I'm, I'm wrestling with is like what why how what constitutes work and what constitutes rest and and I'm trying to apply this standard as I think about how I'm going to use that 24 hours what what is what gives me life like what is restorative and, and healing for me then by all means, enjoy it, participate in it, whatever that is. Like Eric, our, our worship leader, like he seems to find like running five miles restorative and healing, right? That, that, that is not the case for me. Does it bring life, rest, hope, wholeness? Or does it drain us? Does it pour us out? Does it stress us and and load us down? The point here is that these Pharisees who are encountering Jesus, they're missing it. They, and I, there's, you, you almost feel for them because they're working so hard. They're working so hard to build their resume of righteousness, to, to, to be in a place where God They can lay it all out there and God's going to be like, that's enough. And so they're all about 
obeying the Sabbath law and, and not obeying the Sabbath law as it's written in the Torah, obeying the Sabbath law as they've created it to be and they miss the purpose and the person of rest. And it says in verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The purpose of the Sabbath is, is to give life, not to take it. It's, it's for what is good, not for what is evil. They miss it. Which leads us ultimately then to the invitation of Sabbath. The invitation, or we might say the invitation of Jesus. I, um, I don't know how many of you have seen the um, like 1980s, I think it was early 80s movie Chariots of Fire. Are you guys familiar with the story of Eric Little? It's famous for its, its, the music. And it tells the story of Eric Little um, would eventually become a missionary in China. He, um, went into an internment camp when the Japanese invaded China prior to World War II, and he died in, I think, like at 43 years of age in that internment camp. But prior to that, he was an Olympic runner. He, he ran for England in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. He was favored, he was the gold medal favorite in the 100-meter dash. And then when he arrived for the Olympics, he discovered that the the preliminary races for the Olympics were going to take place on Sunday and he'd set aside Sunday to be a Sabbath and so he the, he said I can't I can't participate I can't be a part of this and of course there's just tons of pressure on him to say hey just for this moment right set this aside and what the 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 amazing thing about the story is he decides to compete in the 400 meters which is not what he's trained for and not what he's done and ultimately ends up winning gold in that event and but he held to his conviction what's really interesting in this story is that it tells the story of harold abrams who harold abrams is number 26 eric little is is number 11 both ran for england both were world-class sprinters they were competing with each other to to win the hundred meters there's a quote in there from harold abrams he says this as as his race is approaching he says, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And he says, and then he asked the question, but will I? In contrast to that, Eric Little, there's a scene in the movie when his sister is encouraging to actually leave running and just to go ahead and leave for China and go fulfill his call as this missionary over there little in response to to his sister says this he says i've believed god made me for a purpose but he also made me fast and when i run i feel his pleasure notice the difference between those two approaches i've got 10 seconds to justify my whole existence when i run i feel his pleasure i'm going to flip over to matthew real quick matthew tells his account retells both of these instances where Jesus runs into these Pharisees and they, they challenge him on his adherence of and obedience to the Sabbath. But just prior in Matthew's account to these events, Jesus says this. This is Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29 and 30. He says, Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's the question. What, what is the invitation that Jesus extends to the weary and to the burden? It's his yoke. A yoke was an apparatus that, that was used to combine two oxen together as they worked. So as they were pulling a cart, you would attach them and they would share the load. They'd share the work. But it was also became a metaphor for how you understood like a religious adherence. A, a specific rabbi's teaching was known as his yoke, his interpretation of the Torah. So if you are going to say, I'm going to follow this rabbi, then you're saying, I am going to take on their yoke. I'm, I am going to live this out. I'm going to follow them to the demands and in and, and obedience to what they teach. You see here the invitation, the yoke that Jesus extends, the offer is to attach ourselves to him. And he says, when we do, we find rest for our souls. For my yoke is easy, he says, and my burden is light. What is, what is Jesus offering here? It's our healing and our salvation. He offers rest for our souls. Because of the work of Christ, because of what he accomplished on the cross, because when he said it is finished, he was telling us that there's nothing more to add. There, there is nothing more that you need to do to be made acceptable to God other than to yoke yourself to him, other than to say, I am a follower of Jesus, to place our faith and trust in him, to place our faith and trust in the accomplished work of Christ. And I've said this every week. Because we, we don't work to get it. We work from it. We work from it and not to it. So each, each week as we've been in this series, I, I've extended a, uh, what I've called a Sabbath experiment, a way of, of integrating this, practicing it in this year life. And this week I just want to use this definition. I found this definition of Sabbath and I liked it. I thought it was concise but effective. And it says, the Sabbath is an entire day to set aside, to stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, and to simply rest in God's presence. I, wanna, I want you to give it a shot. 24 hours where you just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press pause. And hear me, this will not happen by accident. It takes effort to make sure, okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm set. I can, I can leave these next 24 hours, but just rest in the fact that in Christ, I don't, there's nothing I need to add. There's no more striving that I need to, to put on top of this. There's nothing more that I need to do. It's done. And I would love if, if some of you get a moment and you're done. If you, if you set aside, okay, let's talk as a family, it's if, as an individual, as a, however you want to do this. How can we set this up? And then let me know, like, what, what was that experience like? Did it, were you stressed out? Like, every time you heard your phone buzz, did, like, it 
create anxiety for you? And I would just love to hear what this looked like for you and what it, what it produced in you. Let me pray for us. Father, I do just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the invitation of Sabbath rest, the invitation to yoke ourselves to you for your, for your you invite the burdened and the weary because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, we may we find that in you and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Before I offer this morning's benediction, uh, real quickly, I want to just um, highlight a couple things. One is that um, in this season of life together, you, not all of our family and community is able to return. Um, some are, are, have health restrictions, and, but it's increasing. But in the meantime, our welcome team and our usher team, we are lacking some of the people that normally would be serving in those roles. So for those of you that are here and you're like, hey, I'd love to get involved, I'd love to be a part of that, if that's something that you might consider, um, even if it's once a month, um, I would love for you to email and let us know. We'll reach out, and, and we'd love to get you plugged into to one of those roles. It's not, it's not um, super complicated, but it is really critical and vital to what we do in, in this community. And on that note, um, I'm going to ask Rob to come in here real quick. Rob Plinsky and I, he, Rob has been my head usher for 10 years. All the way back to what we call the Worship Cafe in the South Street at, at, at South Street Campus in the Student Center. Um, Rob's wife, this fall, got a full-time job at Christ Community Church in DeKalb. And um, Sandy, for years, was our hospitality coordinator, was helping us make everybody feel welcome. She loved that role. Rob was our head usher. Rob has apparently decided that worshiping with his wife is a good idea. And so this is Rob's last Sunday. So would you join me in just thanking Rob for everything he's done? <laughs> Rob, you have used your gifts. Um, you've used your time, your energy, and um, everything that God wired into you to be a blessing to us. Um, we know that that's going to continue out there, but we're going to miss you here, brother, you and, and Sandy. So thank you again for, for everything. Would you now stand with me and I'll offer this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ. In him, we experience rest. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.